Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hardcore Football. Uh, I'm Phil Baki. I'm joined by Mika Burrell. Mika, how's it going? It's going well, Phil. Um, again, all I did was watch football this weekend. <laughs> and as always, there's a, a ton to talk about. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, literally every single match that passed like throughout the European calendar this weekend was, it just seemed like something more crazy happened. Like just each match you're like, okay, like this will probably normalize things or make things maybe a little more pedestrian. No, no shock, shock. (laughs) So, so many goals, so many penalties, like, the Premier League is now like handball league. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, ridiculous. But I mean, maybe that's a decent place to start. Like maybe just generally this weekend, obviously handball kind of like taking center stage um, before we get into the matches in particular, like what do you make of the handball rule now? Obviously intent taken out of it. Yeah. Defensive handball now much easier to concede a penalty on than it, than it was last season. So what do you make of this, this new, the meta, I guess, within, within (laughs) soccer now? Well, I mean, last, you know, on our first episode, we talked about some conspiracy theories that you subscribe to. Now we're going to talk about (laughs) one that I do, which is that I think IFAB and FIFA and all the confederations have like conspired to make handball, do away with intent so that more goals will be scored. I think, uh, I think the game is trying to attract new audi- newer audiences, mainly Western audiences. And, you know, us in the United States are really used to high scoring affairs for the most part in our sports. Right. And so that's my tin hat, <laughs> tinfoil hat moment is I think it's a giant conspiracy to have tons of goals um, what I think about the rule itself, I don't really like it because, I mean, intent is always hard to judge. So you'd think that it's it's better when it comes out of the rules. But at at some point, it's like, well, where do players, defenders, where do they put their arms? I mean, <laughs> you know, making your body bigger to touch the ball as as Neil Mopai did. That's that's one thing. But right. like, you know, the the handball in the Champions League final two years ago. That's harsh. I mean, obviously it's good for <laughs> Liverpool, you know what I mean? But like yeah, yeah. Um, those situations are, I mean, I don't know. Actually, that one's probably not a good, I guess what I'm trying to say is where is the incentive for attackers not to just chip the ball into defenders arms, like at all times, you know what I mean? Right. That's kind of where I'm at on that. I'm all over the place on it, but overall, I, I, I think I don't like it. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> I, I think the thing that is, tough to accept about it is the fact that it's the only like foul or you know infringement I guess you could say like in the game that you could like do nothing wrong and still concede a goal essentially like if you know if I if I grab a hold like as you know we'll get to like in the city game or even the foul the penalty in the Byron game like the, there's it's avoidable like 
the the challenge doesn't have to come in. You don't have to grab people's shirts. You don't have to like, you don't if if you make contacts with someone in the box, like that's on you. Um if right. I'm two yards away, like uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking, gosh, that was uh what, Everton Palace? Yeah. So if I'm Joel Ward and the ball gets rocketed off my hand from two yards away and all of a sudden, like I'm the reason we lost the game. That's that just doesn't sit right with me. Like, right. Cause right. he can't do anything different. Like aside from not have his arms slightly away from his body. Um, so or not have arms. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally he <laughs> Which, wouldn't, you know? Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> by all means, we're not an ableist pod, you know, right. Like, there are, I'm sure there are great footballers with no arms, but True. it's not common. Um, right. right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, do you think that's what it's going to take is like just players just cynically throttling the ball at, at the arms of defenders? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's gotten strange because it does seem like there's so much focus on it now where I feel like last year and maybe this was just the premier league or primarily the premier league. Um, but it seemed like penalties for handball were very easy for referees to be like, eh, nah, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I even think the, I mean, obviously there's a lot of differing opinions about this, but I would say safely, I, I felt pretty comfortable last year. The, the highest profile example being Liverpool city at Anfield. Um, Trent Alexander Arnold had two handballs in the box that weren't called basically due to proximity. Um, that would 1000% be penalties now. Um, mm-hmm. so I mean, selfishly, I, you know, I obviously wouldn't want those to be given, but at the same time, like, neither of those I felt at the time were like earned, I guess penalties. It was a case of, you know, maybe it takes a deflection, hits a hand, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I just kind of think that now it's, we almost sit and wait and it's like, you know, set pieces or whatever, like, uh, the, in the Tottenham game today, like it just kind of randomly bounced off of it, off of Eric Dyer's hand. And like, by the rule now it is a penalty but like his back is to the ball like he has no idea um so there's really nothing he can do about it and that's that's why i don't know i guess we could be entering an era where the like aiming for the hand is is a viable strategy in in trying to earn a penalty late it's like the new the new diving Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's going to become a thing. Cause why not? You know, there's, there's no incentive not to do that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I think as we move into kind of just recapping this weekend and talking about all of the big things, we've obviously got tons to talk about aside from handballs. Um, and the Bundesliga is a very, very good place to start, I think, um, because it presented us with one of the results of the weekend. We've been extremely complimentary of Bayern Munich and kind of saying that, hey, they're probably going to just crush everyone in their path this season. Well, Hoffenheim said, not so fast, my friend. 
So <laughs> four one win for Hoffenheim in Hoffenheim and Mika. I mean, this result would be shocking at most seasons. Um, for Bayern losing four one to anyone, but the way that this happened was just kind of generally stunning. Absolutely. Um, this was the, this was a fixture of the season for me, a really compelling match. And, and honestly, this is, I, I think that, uh, I think that Hoffenheim could have had five or six. Um, I, I mean, just, I, I think the main thing to take away from this one is that Byron's high line finally got exposed. There was finally a team brave enough to, to try and, and get behind them. And, and they did early and often every time they got on the ball. Cause if you, I'm sure you'll get into it, but, but they basically didn't have much of the ball <laughs> up and, high, <laughs> uh, and were able to put four on the best team in Europe, arguably, um, you know, Byron did rotate a little bit. And I, I, I guess in hindsight, it's easy to question the, the wisdom of that, but sure. they, they have Joshua Xerxes up top. Who's a very promising young player, um, they move Kimmich into to a defensive midfield and, and Pavard comes in at right back. So, um, I mean, without without Lewandowski, they struggled, obviously, in front of goal. And then um, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not super sold on that partnership of Quentin uh, Deliso and, and Joshua Kimmich. I don't know if it's just they need more time together or if Leon Goretzka is just, you know, should be the one starting there. Um, with with Kimmich at right back but um, yeah just I mean <laughs> don't know man big big up Stoffenheim they 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 worked hard too I thought Byron looked very lazy in their press which uh, can't say that often about about a Hansi Flick team so yeah just didn't not their day for sure yeah I, as much as as much as the focus will obviously be on Bayern, like failing to beat Hoffenheim, this one, as you said, like, I think this is so much more about Hoffenheim's ability to exploit Bayern's weaknesses. Um, I think there's a little bit of time that will be needed, especially, you know, really my thoughts on Bayern's approach. I think there's going to be time needed for that, for that midfield partnership, because obviously Tiago is a massive loss in this case. True. Um, and I think at, not to be too Liverpool centric, but I think he changes the way that this game plays out um, with the amount that he provides in terms of like cover and the space that he actually takes up. Um, but I think, as I said, like, I think this is so much more about Hoffenheim's ability to, to really, I mean, Honus like did his homework. Um, and I think in the first goal, the uh, off the corner, like the way that they set up for that indicated to me that this is something that they saw as like a, a way to get at Bayern and, and kind of, they packed the box. It wasn't kind of the random assortment that you normally see. They literally had like eight bodies in the six yard box, right? Uh, just al- not allowing Neuer any ability to command the area, any ability to come out and claim it. Um, and from there, it just got better in terms of their ability to exploit, you know, Bayern's general game. Um, and you know, 
I think you you brought it up, but Cromerich in particular, his his ability to just sit on the lash on the shoulder of the last defender and be the outlet throughout. Um, eventually, obviously, it leads to it leads to a goal, but like his ability to allow them to relieve that pressure um, and always consistently causing problems for Byron's back line uh, who was playing so high. Um, yeah. I mean, in the end it leads to eight shots on target for Hoffenheim um, and they only had 28% of the ball. They have 17 shots, which was one more than Byron took with 72% possession. So I, I think the efficiency is, is, absolutely unreal and uh as i said in a tweet earlier i don't think you'll see a a better tactical performance from a team um in terms of their ability to convert those counterattacks into genuine chances and yeah uh cromerich was was kind of central um to what they did and then got got the goals in the end absolutely he works so so hard for the side and i i really think he's one of the more underrated strikers in europe he's you know, ever since he joined Hoffenheim from, I think, Leicester, mm-hmm. um, he's pretty much a guaranteed double-digit goal scorer. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, he, and also I think he's kind of in the prime of his career right now. I think he's about 29 years old. So, I mean, I think he'll kick on just fine this season as well. And, um, the, the, you know, going back to kind of the the disparity in possession, even though Bayern had so much of the ball, I never got the sense that they were comfortable, which again, I think you rarely, if ever see that from a Bayern side. I mean, did you get that, that feeling? I I mean, I felt like they were never able to really sit and, and dictate, even though the stats show they had most of the ball. I think that David Alaba and Boateng were just getting dragged every which way. And, and now that I think about it, I question the the wisdom of including Alaba, who's kind of in a standoff with the club right now about his contract. So, <laughs> uh, you know, there's like a, there's a lot going on at Bayern. I think that I think they will dominate, you know, at the end of the day. But um, yeah, there's, you know, the loss of Thiago, the Alaba situation, blooding in youngsters. Uh, Lero Sane had a stinker today. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of moving parts there. Um that I think also contributed to this and they don't have fans back at the Allianz, but uh, right. you know, in some time they allowed about 6,000 or so through, through the gates. So right. a lot of different things, I guess you could pick apart from this one, but Hoffenheim should be very proud of themselves. I think they certainly earned, earned the result. Yeah, I think, well, and you bring up an interesting point with the fans because we talked about the impact of, you know, like when all of this, this restart began, we talked about how home form, like in Germany, teams were suffering uh, at home without their fans. Right. Do you think we almost see, we'll see like a more of a backlash? So, like, I mean, we saw how Vau like lose 4-1 to, to Dresden in Dresden with fans. We see a result like this, Hoffenheim beating, you know, the European champions um, who are like a month and a half removed from beating Barcelona eight two. So um, <laughs> like that, do you think that plays like a big part in how these teams perform at home now that they have their fans back? So it, I mean, it's hard to quantify that kind of thing. Right. But it is interesting because Germany are kind of taking that a uh, state by state approach. I mean, they're 
they too are a federal republic <laughs> like we are. And so, uh, you know, while there will not be fans in Munich, there were some in Sensheim today and, and elsewhere. I mean, Gladbach had fans, Dortmund had fans. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it must, it must be different. I mean, they're having to adjust again um, um, to, to this ever-changing situation with the pandemic. So, so yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> at the end of the day, I think this match is going to be on a lot of people's film docket around Europe as, as the Champions League, you know, gets up and running again and, and how, how you can beat Bayern. So the, the goal of the game uh, I think it, I think it goes without saying Munis de Boer uh, is through on goal one-on-one with Neuer, not even one-on-one. He's actually under pressure <laughs> and chips Manuel Neuer, just one of the, one of those beautiful, just out of reach chips. I mean, it's an unbelievable goal. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It's, Mustabor is a is an interesting one. I'm glad that he's found a landing place um, for you know he's a hard worker too and kind of had an interesting career. I mean, before Hoffenheim, he was at Sevilla for like a month. Or, I mean, something ridiculous. Yeah. He made maybe like two appearances and they immediately flipped him. So uh, I'm glad to see him doing well. But yeah, it's just a brilliant piece of technical quality from the Israeli. Um, I I don't know that you see. Manuel Neuer give up something like that again, but stranger <laughs> things have happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it was great to see. And it's, it's always good to see too, when a team does take down a, a big team like Bayern, it, it's always nice to see that it's not just, you know, kind of like hard headed, whatever, like, uh, you know, grindy type goals, like his goal and Cromerich's, uh, goal before the penalty, you know, the third, was also a really, really well-worked move. And then right. even the penalty, uh, Bebu like skins like five B- Bayern players and then gets fouled by Manuel Neuer, like trying to go past him in the box. So it's not like some, you know, uh, you know, the smashing grab. This is like, sure. Yeah. They didn't have a ton of the ball, but the individual quality was still extremely high for Offenheim. Yeah. I mean, again, have to give a lot of credit to, to Sebastian Hunas who, I'm sure will not be uh, attending Uli Hunas' <laughs> party this year, as they said on a commentary, which I thought was hilarious. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the the I actually had that in my own notes was that the Bebu sub was a masterclass. I mean, he was a nightmare for for Bayern's midfield and and their defense, of course. Um, uh, yeah, you're right. It's not just a smash and grab. Hoffenheim actually, you know, deserved this, and I think. Uh, only scoring four is actually pretty flattering to Bayern. So, yeah, yeah, four saves still made by Neuer, and a couple of them like out of the top drawer. So, yeah, right. it could have been it could have been a lot worse. Um, I mean, around the Bundesliga, there were a, a few kind of like results that stuck out. Dortmund losing to Augsburg, obviously a big one. I mean, without spending too much time. Um, do you think that this is like the the classic case of a very talented team not really having much like nous, I guess? Like they have so much young talent. Are they like a little bit naive, Dortmund? I think that's always kind of been Dortmund's problem, to be fair. And I, <laughs> it's probably going to upset some people, but I mean, they are a very exciting 
flashy team that don't win anything. <laughs> um, so, um, and, and on top of that, I think Lucien Favre, I, I think he's on borrowed time at Dortmund, to be honest. I don't see him, uh, you know, taking them to that next level in terms of for real challenging um, Bayern's hegemony. So, you know. Yeah, um, yeah I just think... Well, and I think it's evident too in some of the in some of the goings on during the match that Augsburg is kind of made up of a bunch of you know journeymen like <laughs> like more veteran <laughs> right. players than they kind of got under the skin of the of the of the kids who you know most of whom are likely going to go to clubs all over Europe and be you know among some of the top talents holland and sancho and um sure. you know giorena is is rising in stock but um on their day uh they can be frustrated as well um and uh and were by augsburg to the two uh nil winners in that one and then a few stalemates but armenia bielefeld picks up another uh a, well a, a win their first win back in the bundesliga against cologne um, and are kind of quietly just picking up decent results because uh, Eintracht Frankfurt beat uh, Hertha pretty handily was, on Friday. Um, that was a good game. And Bielefeld held Frankfurt to a draw. So, the, like, Bielefeld kind of picking up some decent results. Yes, it's early, but they're, like, in a European place right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think, I mean, all joking aside, I think it's uh, I think it's crucial to come up and immediately get results because it's really hard to arrest that slide if you start bad yeah. uh, start badly or poorly i should say and i mean as a gladbach supporter i'm always happy to see Cone uh lay an egg so <laughs> <laughs> um another another club uh from from that area Mainz uh got a pretty handy handy beating uh at the hands of uh Vavba Stuttgart um another newly promoted side or you know back in the Bundesliga I guess you should say um for a club of their stature but the result with the biggest consequences uh this weekend was Werder Bremen three, Schalke one, and David Wagner, um, you know, former Hoffenheim manager and, you know, former Klopp uh, apprentice um, now out of a job, uh, having taken over the reins of Schalke just a couple years ago. And the mire for Schalke just seems to be getting deeper and deeper with no real bottom in sight. Like how bad will it get for Schalke before it gets better? It's, it's hard to say. I mean, I think, I think this has been on the cards for a long time in terms of David Wagner getting sacked. It's he, they went 18 games without a victory. Um, and you know, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I think he's one of those, <laughs> one of those managers that every, every fan can kind of, you know, come to like, and he was able to leave Huddersfield on his own terms, but sadly not this time. Um, you know, if you're, if you're getting smashed by Werder Bremen, that's bad. Cause Werder Bremen are also a, a, uh, relegation candidate. Um, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, that stayed up via the, the playoff. Uh, um, right. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's absolutely like, I don't know. It, it's a club that I think we knew based on some of the like 
conversations around the club in the off season. I think we knew that they were going to be maybe taking a step down in terms of, you know, they're not going to be competing for champions league places, that sort of thing. Right. But they didn't improve at all. I think you, I think you could safely say like in this short off season, they didn't get any better. It's not a matter of like, um, of even like the management. It's just the playing squad did not improve. Yeah. And they've, you know, since like lost pieces. Um, so to me, I think they, anyone who comes in, in my opinion, I think is going to be basically, you know, being appointed the new captain of the Titanic, essentially like, <laughs> like we've hit the iceberg and like, Hey, go ahead and just oversee the rest of this. Um, right. it, it's, I think it, I, I don't, I don't see them kind of arresting this, um, unless they're willing to do some serious business. Cause I just don't, I don't think the, um, I don't think they have the personnel um, to stay up. Unfortunately, I think that's just like the sad truth. And I think with all of the, with all of the like vibes around the club, um, I mean, there's been conversations around, uh, around Kabak leaving and then he goes and spits on a player (laughs) during a pandemic. So like, we've got that, you know, um, I, I just think the club itself is is already kind of like it's not really great in terms of the level of quality that they have. They have some very promising players. They have some very like they have some interesting pieces, but without something cohesive to bring it together and with the boardroom and the management now like up you know up in the air, unless they can really get this appointment right, I think I think they're doomed uh to the to the to the drop um and i know yeah. it's still extremely early but it's bad at Schalke right now no yeah i, I don't disagree with you I, like you said a lot of interesting pieces but they need to win right now um and i think you know buying gonzalo paciencia is not putting you you know in a much better position i think it says something that frank were willing to let him go <laughs> um you know so yeah, not good. Um, you know, and, and it gets worse too because I mean, I mean, Harit, who's a young creative player, he's got coronavirus. Um, right. Swatserda has a hamstring uh, problem. So just it's, I, I don't envy uh, those who, who are making the trek to the Veltons Arena to, to see this team because yeah. it's, it's pretty grim. It certainly is, and uh, it it could get worse next weekend. They play RB Leipzig, so <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in case it wasn't bad enough, they opened the season with, uh, you know, Bremen obviously should have been like even opponents, and in terms of like the stats and everything for Schalke, they didn't they didn't play like that poorly. Um, but say, almost the same as Bayern against <laughs> against Hoffenheim. Bremen yeah. create almost identical amounts of shots and more shots on target from a third of the possession. So it I don't know. I think it's emblematic at Schalke of you know, I think at Bayern it was emblematic of a of a coach figuring them out 
I think it's Schalke. It's emblematic of like their plan just is bad. Their plan is bad. <laughs> There's not a, to me, a guaranteed goal scorer in that side. And there's just turmoil. I mean, the players look like miserable. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, all the, all those things I think will there. The, I mean, I agree. They're a relegation candidate for sure. The same as they were last year. So, yeah. Well, uh, as we move on from the Bundesliga, we still have tons to talk about, uh, premier league, La Liga, Serie A, Liga Un, and even, you know, other random stuff in between As it comes. Yeah. Tons of, uh, tons of stuff to talk about, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to hardcore football. Uh, Mika massive week in the premier league, tons of controversy kind of relating to the handball stuff we were talking about earlier. Um, but leading this one off again, a shock today, uh, and maybe not as dramatic of a shock as, um, as Bayern being soundly beaten by Hoffenheim, but Leicester city dealing a five, two loss to man city in the Etihad as well. Um, Brennan Rogers Lester ended last season about as poorly as they could have missing out on the champions league this season back with a bang. And they're, they've started extremely well. Again, another giant falls and with the vast majority of possession. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. City had like 72% possession in this one and get hammered at home. Um, I saw a funny, uh, I saw a funny tweets from a um, uh, gunner blog, who is a writer for Arsenal for the athletic. And mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, I'm turning the crowd noise off so that it feels more normal. <laughs> 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 so like city just, get in just destroyed all over the place. I mean, Jamie Vardy, same old from him, a hat trick at 33 years old. I mean, what can you say about this man that hasn't already been said? I think that Lester would be in a far different place without him. Obviously. Um, I think a lot of people questioned the signing of Timothy Castagna because he was, he was okay at Atalanta, but um, you know, maybe not, the most inspiring signing after losing a player like Ben Chilwell. But I mean, he gets, he gets in on the action too. Yuri Tillemann's excellent. Um, that, that partnership of, I think it was Garcia and Ake. Uh, I mean, again, Ake is a good player, but as I've always said, when, when I first heard that they were linked is like, that's not a transformative signing. Mm-hmm. Um, so city need help in defense. I think the last thing I saw from, Don Fabrizio is that they are going to be signing Ruben Diaz from Benfica. I think it is. So, I mean, they know the problems. I don't think this is the team that Pep Guardiola wanted to necessarily put out there. Um, But I mean, still you would think with the depth that they have, that they're not going to be getting smacked five, two to, to Leicester city. That's, you know, regardless of the team you put out, I mean, that's ridiculous. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and well, and I think you brought up Vardy. Obviously, we we talked about <laughs> during the break. Just he gets faster with age, and right the first goal, it, it's very evident because Kyle Walker looks to have not. Um, and mm. that's and I think it was kind of like uh, I I think it's just it just is throughout this city team for whatever reason they they don't look like they're improving year on year and that's really like what is somewhat trouble or would be troubling for me if you know if i'm following city like i'd be a little worried that the product doesn't seem to get better each year the project doesn't seem to and obviously they had a hundred point season they have won everything under pep so i'm not you know minus the champions league but i'm not like crapping on a hundred points or on, you know, winning four domestic trophies or whatever it was, the domestic treble type thing. Um, but I do think that there has to be like serious questions asked when you're like Kyle Walker is still the starting right back like that, you know, and, and he's, he's not getting any younger. Garcia and Ake were, were pretty tragic today, unfortunately. Um, and, Garcia might be going to Barca. It, I mean, I've seen some like that, which right. would be fitting for Barcelona to sign like a struggling center, not struggling, but young, uh, like unproven center back. But, and then Benjamin Mendy is still kind of like first choice at left back or whatever. And, and we'll see as new signings blood in and, and obviously they've got loads of quality Mares and De Bruyne and Sterling are all, you know, fantastic players. Um, but I'm just, I don't know that the collective is, is really as good as it should be. Um, and you know, juxtaposed with this Lester side that's gone through loads of change players sold, obviously the big, the big ones being Harry Maguire and, uh, and Ben Chilwell, but they bring in Soyon Chu, they bring in, uh, Justin, as well, James Justin. And like today they didn't miss either of, of their, you know, kind of big, big name departures. Um, and it worked out extremely well. Mendy and Tillemans like look like a solid partnership in the middle too. Um, so I, I don't know. It's a, it's a very odd game <laughs> in that Lester have found these kind of gems, you know, within to, to make a functioning side, but Credit to Brendan today because um, he, uh, you know, I think some of these big matches he could be guilty of overthinking. Um, but today he, he you know, got at City's weaknesses, um, which it might be a little simple to say of let Jamie Vardy run at the back line. But um, but it worked and uh, and they, you know, kept City from being overly uh, threatening and the on the other end, just five shots on target. So, I mean, ultimately this is the type of result that is going to matter so much come the end of the season and city, you know, man city, not able to not able to get the win, um, in a situation where, you know, you feel like most of the, if it's anything like last year or the year before, 
basically every single win is completely vital to the title race. For sure. For sure. Um, I mean, to be fair to city, I'm, I'm just looking at this now and they've got a pretty significant injury list. I mean, for sure. Bernardo, Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, Ilkay Kunduan, Joao Cancelo, John Stones, and of course, Kunaguero. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for any side that'd be tough to cope with, oh, but, but <laughs> <laughs> you would think while financial fair play is suspended yeah. <laughs> that you would be a little more proactive in the market. I mean, again, they're bringing in Ruben Diaz and, and, you know, we'll see how that goes. It's always, I think it's always a gamble when you're buying players from Portugal, yeah. um, you know, into the Premier League, because that's a, to me a significant step up mm-hmm. um, in, in quality. Uh, but, you know, and I, and I, again, I don't think this is a team that he, that Pep Guardiola necessarily wanted to trot out with, you know, Kevin De Bruyne kind of in the 10 position, Raheem Sterling leading the line. I mean, yeah, you know, it's kind of a make do and men situation right now at city and not, not the way they want to start. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and now with, with, with goal difference and everything, Leicester are currently top of the table. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the goals, um, I mean, obviously Vardy with the hat trick, James Madison though, with a, a touch of class, uh, from outside the box hits that curler. And I mean, it's getting to the point where, when he's in that type of area, you, you kind of know what's coming. He's almost getting like a Coutinho level, uh, I guess, reputation from that yeah. distance, but similar to Coutinho, there's little you can do about it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's actually a really good comparison. I hadn't thought about that. He is a lot like Coutinho in a lot of ways. I wonder, and maybe this might just be because we're not exposed to the same kind of media that they are over, over the pond, but I feel like we hear so much more about Jack Grealish than we do James Madison. And I think James Madison's arguably just as talented, if not more, and maybe more of what the England squad actually need um, (laughs) in in the middle of the park, you know? So yeah, yeah, he's some player. And I think Leicester have done well to, to hold on to them as, as, as long as they have. So the, another team, obviously Leicester getting this big result, five two um but another another big result uh a little further little further north well i guess the game was in london um but everton um get another win and you actually identified a pretty a pretty interesting stat about them winning this one against crystal palace yeah so this is you know with the 2-1 win over crystal palace uh this is Everton, let me say this again. Everton have won their first three matches in the league for the first time in 27 years. Um, that you know they tend to win opening day, but then kind of stumble shortly thereafter. So, you know, I said I said the last time we spoke about Everton that I don't know if they're for real. Um, when I said that, I meant I don't know if they can actually achieve what they want to, but I think the intent certainly is there to be you know, fighting for those European places. I don't think Carlo Ancelotti knows anything else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and actually in this calendar year of football, they are undefeated. Um, even looking at their, you know, friendlies before the season and then now, you know, heading into this season, they've not lost. So I wow. think, um, you know, I think there's plenty to be happy about on the blue, blue side of Merseyside. So, um, 
and and James Rodriguez. I mean, he he looks like the real deal um, in, in that in that Everton side. Yeah, I I think between him and Dominic Calvert Lewin, I think you see two of of the genuine articles, if you will, um, that make this Everton side less of what they normally are, which is overhyped and then underperforming. Um, sure. They make, they, they often spend like a decent amount of money. They, you know, they often bring in like these, these different pieces, but it rarely is it actually beneficial to the whole. Um, and it doesn't really improve them markedly. Um, I think the Hamas signing is obviously huge for them just commercially, like even not speaking about the football side. I don't think they've ever in my, in my time of following the premier league since, you know, 2005, I cannot remember a time that Everton signed someone who's genuinely famous. Um, you know, outside of like European football circles, um, like Hamas Rodriguez is a known quantity, like outside of that. Um, and obviously, you know, very prominent in terms of his, uh, his rise, uh, his rapid rise within world football. But, um, but he's made a real impact on the field as well. And he's like, I think we saw in the first game, he, was almost so good that it was like catching his teammates out. Um, like <laughs> they weren't expecting him to play a certain pass or something like that. Now I think th- they're gelling a little bit more and he's able to, to obviously play a little bit closer, but I think him having Dominic Calvert Lewin in front of him, who I'll admit, like I thought was going to be like most England strikers who get super duper hype the second that they score, um, you know, any sort of goal and then flame out kind of like spectacularly. Um, but he's, I think he's turning into a genuine like threat as a number nine and kind of like the heir to what Harry Kane used to be for England. So, um, I think that they will score. I th- and I think I said this in the last episode too. Like, I think Everton will score a lot. Um, but I think this game also demonstrates their vulnerabilities when, you know, Sheku, Sheku uh, Kuyate is, is scoring basically from a, a free header, like uh, just outside the six yard box. Um, and, and Palace were like somewhat wasteful in this match as well. So I, I think Everton had like a little slice of luck with the Joel Ward handball palace maybe didn't like do enough with, with what they had. So I think Everton still have a ways to go to proving that they're like you said, like capable of the goals they have. Um, but I think I, you know, you can look at a couple of those players and say like, okay, they have, so they have some of the building blocks of, of a genuinely good side. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has five goals already in three yeah. <laughs> games. So, um, and, and now that I think about it, like just England strikers in general are going off. I mean, we just spoke about Vardy, Calvert-Lewin being super productive, Danny Ings still putting them in the back of the net for Southampton. Yeah. Um, 
Harry Kane almost looks like the odd one out right now. But, uh, but yeah, no, the thing with Everton though, and again, I say the, I think the intention certainly is to, to make Europe, but I think the thing that will, two things, I guess that will, will hamper them are one, the defending. I don't know. I still don't know what to make of, of Michael Keane and Yerimina as a partnership. Um, we'll see how that goes. And also the depth of Everton is not, I think they've got a really strong first 11, but uh, the bench often has, you know, very young players and, and fringe players to be fair. So, um, you know, that, that, that first 11 is very strong, but, uh, they just have to hope that, that they don't have an injury crisis because I mean, I'm just not really impressed with some of the, you know, Moise Keen, I think he's, he's young, hasn't really, um, hit the ground running, I guess, in England. Right. Bernard, he's okay. Jonas Lussel, you know, backup keeper. Tom Davies, I thought he would have come on a little bit more at mm-hmm. this point, but I think he's still pretty young. Alex Awobi, I mean, he's <laughs> he's Alex Awobi. Yeah. Gilby Sigurdsson's getting up there. So, you know, um, and, and they have a few injuries as well. I mean, Bamin, is, he's got an ACL. Mason Holgate, who probably should be in the back line is also out. So, right. um, yeah, I, it, I think it, I think a lot of it will depend too on, on how healthy that, that first 11 can stay. They certainly do have some of the pieces. Alan, I didn't even mention Alan in there as well. So it's almost, yeah. it's almost, uh, I, I have this moment of cognitive dissonance. Like every time I see an Everton lineup, cause I'm like, no, that I'm, I think I'm looking at the wrong team. <laughs> like <laughs> I, it, they just shouldn't have this many kind of recognizable names. Um, but they, uh, they do. And, and they're certainly, I'd say they're good value for their start. Um, it'll just take uh, a lot. And obviously there's a, a little bit of question marks around Jordan Pickford. And I think true. I think his Englishness is keeping him from reaching the level of like Keppa level scrutiny. Um, because <laughs> I, I don't think they like to call out their, you know, number one. Um, I think England fans have a lot of scar tissue with poor goalkeepers. So, um, so yeah, that, but maybe a uh, conversation for, for a different day because Kepa's team was playing, um, and, uh, West Brom Chelsea at the Hawthorns, um, ends three, three, it was three nil to West Brom at halftime. Um, well, it was three nil to West Brom within 27 minutes. Uh, and this performance in particular was characterized by just some absolutely shocking defending from one of the most recognizable and, you know, someone who would be classed as a world-class defender. Yeah. Tiago Silva, where's the clown shoes for this one? I mean, you know historically Chelsea have had issues at the Hawthorns um so perhaps it was not the time to start Thiago Silva um but but at the same time you expect to be getting a world-class defender as you say and and some of his mistakes were just inexcusable I mean the way he kind of lets the ball run across him for I think it was Callan Robinson's second goal yeah um just 
what? (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 you know, they played a four at the back. um, And Marcus Alonso is not a left back. He is to me exclusively a wing back, which those are different roles. Yeah. Um, And I think he gets exposed time and time again in a back four. Andreas Christensen is a shell of the player I remember from Mönchengladbach. Um, he's con- I feel like every week he's making some kind of shocking tackle or, you know, just costing his team. Yeah. Um, Reese James didn't have a great game, I don't think. I think um, – but, I mean, I, I, I think he has the best game of the back four. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he's, you know, good with creating his chances and, and, and passing and all that, but defensively, you know – soft touch um the th- <laughs> I, again i still think west brom probably are going down because yeah. uh, i just this kind of stuff is not sustainable but you you know you made an interesting point there that they were th- up three three oh in less than half an hour and i think that also led to this three three at the end of the day because it's i think it's just so hard to defend such a big lead for that long yeah, uh, against a team that are infinitely more talented than you in terms of just the the personnel. Um, and uh, you know, speaking of the personnel, I <laughs> I I don't think that Frank Lampard had this magical like tactical uh, you know rethink at halftime. I think that the quality definitely bailed Chelsea out at the end of the day to just get a point, not even a win. Right. Um. So so yeah. Um. Lampard keeps playing Kai Havertz on the right and it's doing my head in. Can I just say, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so just frustrated by that. I I just, yeah. (laughs) I, I think it's, I think it's shocking when a manager like Frank Lampard is doing with Havertz, like he's putting him into a role in his system. Um, where there's not a player that he already favors rather than like watching (laughs) some games of Leverkusen last year and being like, Oh, that's what he does. (laughs) Like that's, it's so, I don't know. It's jarring to me because I feel like there's no way that he doesn't, that he hasn't seen like the quality that Havertz offers and what makes him so dangerous and then employing him in a role where he cannot do any of those things. I just don't, I don't, yeah. I, I don't get it. I, I re- it really is like stunning. Um, I mean, the, the assist for Hudson Adoy's goal, which that's superbly worked. Yeah. That's where Havard should be. Right. In the center of things, you know, arriving late into the box, being able to survey the entire pitch from the middle of the park. You know, I I just hate this whole, like having him come off the wing and I don't know if it's necessitated by, um, squad that he has at his selection or whatever, but I mean, (laughs) yeah, this is not a good result for a team that spent 200 million pounds or, or euros or whatever in the transfer market. And I have to throw in another conspiracy here, Phil. (laughs) I think, (laughs) I think that the, I feel like Roman Abramovich has hired or hired Frank Lampard knowing that they'd have that transfer ban and thinking one, he's a legend of the club. So this will, this will put some goodwill into his account immediately from the fans. Yeah. 
And two, he's a relatively new manager and a legend of the club. And so the fans will be more forgiving with him ha- being forced to play with younger players. Right. Um, but now that Chelsea are able to invest, I, I think Lampard probably maybe get, makes it to next year. And I think next year is really crucial to winning things, but I just don't see it long-term. I think that, I think that he was kind of a convenient hire for the circumstances um, in terms of keeping kind of fan ire at bay. But that's my right. my second conspiracy of the oh, day. I, mean, <laughs> I think I think it's totally I, I think it's totally valid in that his body of work does not equal Chelsea manager like on its own. Um, you mm-hmm. know, he managed Derby to fifth in the championship or sixth, I think. And then, you know, to a playoff semifinal or whatever, you know, like that was, that's his big accomplishment in his one year of management. Um, I'm just not, I don't necessarily see like, obviously he's a club legend and he like that buys him a lot. Um, but if the idea was like, Oh, go and get some experience at Derby. Like, I don't think he was done growing as a manager like i think he's still very much learning um and now he's been handed aside that have loads uh you know like there's a bunch of different egos there's all kinds of different expectations um and he's been handed the keys to the you know development and or continued development and indeed like the prime of two of Germany's like best players. <laughs> and right. I think that is a lot for a, for a fairly new manager to, to figure out, especially in a team where his defense is like complete trash. So he can't <laughs> even really focus on it because they're conceding three to West Brom, um, like before he can even get anything firing at the other end. So I just, I don't know. Um, I mean, we'll see if he can, if he can like, withstand uh the the pressure the inevitable pressure that will come with being Chelsea boss but one of the things that stood out to me about this game is the difference that Callum Hudson Adoy makes and obviously he was linked with like this high profile departure to Bayern and then he was like offered a ridiculous wage to stay at Chelsea ops to stay uh for the time being but he hasn't really played that much but has like a fantastic like inter or you know uh involvement in this game. So what do you make of his future at Chelsea if he's going to play second fiddle to the tight you know to like well I mean Mason Mount even um getting into the team ahead of him. Yeah, it's an interesting one and that the fact that he hasn't played that much is why I'm so ignorant about his, his qualities. Cause I find myself saying, well, why is he special? And it's just because we, I've not seen him yeah. much, but I mean, <laughs> you know, the goal that he inhabits the give and go is excellent. I mean, it's a superb finish. And um, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think the injury to Pulisic may allow him more time on either of those flanks, but uh, Mason Mount is, is Lampard's protege or so it seems. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think he could potentially get unhappy with that because I think he's a player that should be playing more often than he is for sure. Um, whether the door is open to Byron still, I don't know. Um, that seems less likely. 
Yeah. Uh, but then again, it's I, I don't know who else can afford him as well. So right. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, we yeah. haven't seen we haven't seen much of him, and it is like it's one of those weird things where he popped up last season as a target for Bayern for like thirty five million pounds. I think they were like quoted at, or maybe thirty five million euros. But he. And it was kind of this like high profile thing. Byron were talking about him publicly, and then uh, Chelsea offered him a, a big contract, and he stayed. Um, but now, you know, were there any? Maybe, maybe sure- he takes Sancho's place at Dortmund if Sancho goes. Ooh, that's an interesting. That's an interesting shot. I mean, Dortmund are obsessed with English talent right now so <laughs> <laughs> and he would slot right in i mean that wide that wide position could be his so yeah. maybe that's a that's an interesting call i like that <laughs> um the most absurd result of the premier league weekend was <laughs> brighton two, manchester united three um with manchester united's third goal coming on a penalty kick after the final whistle had actually gone, um, what <laughs> what did you make of this crazy game between uh, between Brighton and and United? Brighton and, and Neil Mopai is a clown. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot is made about how Manchester United get a lot of penalties, and and you know, part of me thinks maybe there is some, you know underlying favoritism from the referees, but most of me thinks it's because they've got extremely fast forwards who are filed in the box quite often. But this one is just straight fuckery from Neil (laughs) Mopai. I don't know why, what he's, I mean, here's where handball is, is fucking handball all day long. Why his arm is where it is, you know, at the depth. Yeah. I don't, who was he like up against Harry Maguire or something? Yeah. Yeah, So I, I, you know, he cost his team, a point yeah. <laughs> I mean which is huge for a club like Brighton and they played really well I thought they outplayed Manchester United so to go home with nothing is is really disappointing and and I, you know Brighton is one of those teams that I think the coach is um I think Graham Potter is doing the absolute most that he can with his the assets at his disposal I think sure. with better players he I I he could probably manage a top six side honestly um, but, uh, you know, they're limited in terms of, um, the personnel, uh, st- you know, still have a couple good pieces here and there. And, um, when Neil, Neil Mopai is scoring goals, it's great. But when he's, <laughs> when he's, you know, acting like that, I mean, he, you know, the first, <laughs> I, I felt like it was going to go bad when I saw him do the Mbappe crying, you know, <laughs> celebration. I mean, this man is so dedicated to just being a, an asshole, yeah. um, which, Whatever, you know, if it's benefiting your team, great. You're just a shithouse, and that's great. Sure. But uh, just if I'm a Brighton fan, I'm furious with this one. It's it's crazy because, like you said, Graham Potter, I think, is getting the most out of this out of this Brighton side. And I think there's an element of United were poor, like, throughout this match. I, and, I, you know, normally I wouldn't want to take away from Brighton's performance, but um, but I think it's kind of just an inevitable side effect of like Brighton bossed the game, like for much of, of the proceedings United looked 
just off the pace, like slow second to every ball. Like they just, they looked poor. Um, they only have seven shots in the game. And I think going back to the Chelsea thing, I think United ultimately their quality show like shown through, I guess, in terms of the individual quality, um, and the couple of chances, they had a couple of chances flagged for offside or whatever, which is again, like kind of indicative of that, like just lethargy and like a little bit of, um, like lack of awareness. Um, but Brighton have 18 shots and are the first premier league team ever like since 1992, when the premier league became a thing, the first team ever to hit the woodwork five times in one game. <laughs> is, that tr- is that true? That is, God, yeah. that is absolutely a fact, which is crazy. So five times they hit the woodwork. Um, any one of which, like we could literally be talking about a demolition. Like Brighton have 18 shots and yeah. five on target, but an additional five that hit the woodwork, like 10, potentially like goal producing shots um, from Brighton is crazy and like unacceptable if you're United because they only have three shots on target the entire match Um, and they score all of them. So like that's great, I guess, or no, they didn't score. One was an own goal. So I guess they scored two of their shots on target, but they only had two shots on target from open play the entire match. Like one was a penalty. So that's in the 100th minute. So that's like the, um, that's the level of this. And, and, um, yeah, it's just not good enough from United. And I think not to, again, not to be like overly dramatic after two games, but United have played two at best mid table sides to start. Like palace are not going to like threaten the top six. Brighton certainly isn't. Um, These are at best mid-table sides, at worst relegation candidates that they've played, who they have looked very poor against. And yes, they get the win, but they did not deserve it. And like that to me would be more troubling to me as a United fan because I'm not like if I was a United fan, I'm thinking like we haven't done anything in two matches against pretty average sides. So I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think they've got a lot of work to do. And I think ultimately rival fans may end up liking that United get a win here because it papers over some of the cracks, um, as far as United's board are concerned and keeps them from doing anything too drastic, like splashing 120 million on Jaden Sancho. yeah uh and and even if Jaden sansa joined this team today i don't think he solves a lot of these issues yeah this is a structural issue i mean that we need a i mean again harry mcguire still needs a competent partner um probably need a left back probably need a new manager (laughs) (laughs) uh it's incredible to me by the way that that Bruno Fernandes has 18 penalties yeah for Manchester United and he joined what in January yeah (laughs) it's it's just I don't how sustainable is this you know right 
but I, I keep asking myself this though, and they keep getting penalties. So maybe I yeah. shouldn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to give, I do want to give credit to Brighton. Um, because as you said, like they're, the pieces aren't all that impressive, I guess on paper. Um, but the way they played and some of the passages of play, uh, on Saturday were so slick. They, they looked extremely well drilled. And I think it's huge credit to Graham Potter because the way that they play, despite the fact that, you know, they had a short off season and they have a couple of new pieces in it. it, I'd say it's mostly the same team. Um, they kind of plugged Adam Lallana in there. Um, but it's been super effective and I'm not the biggest Adam Lallana fan, at least from his time at, at Liverpool. I, I thought that he was at times like kind of overrated in early in his tenure um, mm. and almost brought in to do a job that he's not really that player. But one thing that he's always been very competent at is pressing. And I think Brighton showed in this game, like they used Lallana as he wasn't the key, you know, he wasn't the point of the press but he was keying the press. Like you could literally hear him shouting on TV, like when to press and like when to go. And their pressing was very effective. Um, and like against a team like United that do struggle a little bit to play out. And I mean, you know, Lindelof, not the best passer. Matic was put under pressure a, a number of times. Um, so yeah, I think credit to them. And then between Lamptey and Alzate, I think Brighton have two like legitimately good players. Um, and uh, yeah, they get. I think they will hurt teams this year because Graham Potter has them has them playing extremely well. Um, and I think they'll stay up. But in this one, I, I just feel for them because they deserved they deserved the win um, based on how the match transpired and in the end they come away with nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, it's that's football as they say, but yeah, I mean, they dominated every attacking statistic and, and lose to United and Fergie time. So very unfortunate. Well, last word on the premier league, obviously we record, we're recording Sunday night. So tomorrow it's our teams facing off Liverpool versus <laughs> Arsenal um, in an early match of, of obviously, you know, the reigning champions, but, uh, Arsenal, a team that look a different prospect, uh, this year under Mikel Arteta. So as an Arsenal fan, how are you feeling going into this matchup? Uh, I mean, it's Anfield. I think, uh, we don't really get much joy there to be honest. I mean, the last, I, I just, I don't see us, you know, coming away with anything to be fair. Um, Anfield without fans may be a different thing, but still, I think Liverpool's quality is just simply too much. Um, I, I have heard that Thiago and Allison will miss out. So maybe that, maybe that, uh, sways things a little bit. Um, we're pretty healthy <laughs> as far as the starters are concerned, but, um, you know, I think Arteta's side is very much still a work in progress. And, and, um, I think, uh, we've had to throw Gabriel Magalhães in pretty quickly. And I think this will be his biggest test yet <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> going up against one of the most formidable front threes in world football. So yeah, I, I, I don't see us, you know, doing anything significant to be honest. 
The only thing that has me like pretty worried um, is the trend that we've seen this whole weekend of the team with more possession uh, losing. And (laughs) I think the way that we've seen Arteta uh, set up against Liverpool, like that's very much how he'll, how he'll play. Um, And, you know, the last time or the last two times out um, he's, he's gotten quite a bit of joy uh, from that approach. So I, you know, I, I think Liverpool are still obviously the favorites in terms of, of coming away with the win, but um, but yeah, I don't think it'll be you know, I don't think we're looking at the traditional or what has become tradition, like kind of spanking at Anfield uh, that Arsenal has gotten in recent years. Um, I think it'll be I think it'll be a, a very tightly contested game. Um, yeah. And I always hate going up against uh, Aubameyang, especially when he's like feeling himself, which he obviously which is, is always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my only hope is that Aubameyang's swag can be canceled out by Roberto Firmino's like seemingly uh, obsessive compulsive need to score a bunch of goals against Arsenal. So um <laughs> Yeah, that's the only the only thing that uh, that calms my nerves a bit going into this one. But I I do I do think the one thing I will say about Allison potentially missing out is that Adrian has has played eleven league games for Liverpool and has not lost. Um, The only the only match that he's actually lost uh, was in the Champions League against Atleti. So. yeah, he's undefeated in league play, uh, but we'll see. We'll see if because uh, that obviously does change things. If uh, if the big Brazilians not not in net. Truth, but, I say, I say probably three one Liverpool. I hate I hate predicting against Arsenal, but <laughs> can't be can't be out on here being delusional. So <laughs> <laughs> I will accept your prediction. And no, I I think, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. I think Pierre probably, probably grabs one. Um, But the way, the way that Liverpool attacked, especially last time out against, against Chelsea, I think I could definitely see like how they break teams down um, that are going to sit back because Chelsea certainly, certainly did. Um so it'll just be a matter of not needing them to go down to 10 men. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully sure. we're not uh, relying on that, but, um, but yeah, it should be a fascinating, a fascinating game. And it, you know, it's another litmus test early in the season for both teams. Um, and, you know, are Liverpool legit as, as holders, you know, could they, could they retain? Um, and, you know, is Arsenal good value for, for, challenging for those those champions league places which is certainly their aim this season so um as we move away from the premier league we've still got tons to talk about we'll take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about uh about southern europe um and then we'll uh have our additions to the sounds of the season playlist um coming up after that so stay tuned
Welcome back to Hardcore Football. Uh, Mika, we'll jump to La Liga now, and it's the first result of the first big result of the weekend. Real Betis took on Real Madrid, and uh, Manuel Pellegrini said in his press conference after the match in which Madrid won 3-2, a late Sergio Ramos penalty against 10-man Betis uh, sinking Pellegrini's side. He said, when you are up against Real Madrid and VAR, it is too much. Um, Pellegrini went on to say, he said, we were much better than Real Madrid in the first half. We scored two goals and had three, three clear chances to score. The second half was more equal. Then there was the red card, the penalty, and playing so much time with a man down was tough. Um, when you are playing against Real Madrid and you concede a penalty and get a man sent off because of VAR, it is very difficult. But I value how well we played when it was 11 against 11. Do you think that is basically what Betis have to take from this game, that they were the better side when it was even strength and it took kind of weird circumstances for Madrid to get back in it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously he's being a little salty with the VAR comment, but (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, they created more chances, had, you know, slightly more shots on target. Um, So, you know, they gave up a little bit of the possession to Real Madrid, but yeah, the thing with Real Madrid is, to me, they're a very simple side. I mean, they defend very well and then rely on Benzema to create something. Um, I don't think Zidane is necessarily like a tactical genius. So um, I gave Betis a shot to win this one. And it's just unfortunate that Emerson decided to have a, a meltdown. And uh, <laughs> I think he got he got sent off and scored an own goal. So it's just not a great day for the Brazilian. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think this is one of those results that for, for Betis, they just have to put it in the back of their mind and continue on because before this they had kept two straight clean sheets in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, Pellegrini has immediately made this team more defensively solid with a lot of the same pieces that we, that we saw last season in, in uh, Seville, um, you know, namely Isa Mandi and Mark Batra at mm-hmm. the heart of the defense. Um, so yeah, I think this is one they just have to let go. Um, it's frustrating, but it's, that's Real Madrid for you, yeah. I guess. <laughs> They're like rolling it back with this one too, because this is like, uh, well, and I mean, I think obviously we, similar to with United in England, I think there is probably some level of kind of inherent bias uh, in Span in Spanish football towards Madrid. Um, I don't know that with VAR, like, I don't know that there's been anything like that egregious in terms of like (laughs) them, you know, being uh, favored. Um, But there is just something that's so upsetting just generally about Sergio Ramos, especially with this like post quarantine, like uh, Wayne Rooney emerging from the trailer in that Nike commercial (laughs) um like look that he has uh i i there's something just deeply upsetting about him scoring under these circumstances to give madrid a late win against a team like betis who is obviously doing much better than they than they have been but is rising in profile in the game in spain as well yeah i think beticos just have to I don't know, take comfort in the fact that they're, they're top of the table still right now. <laughs> um, but 
yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate. And I, I didn't get to catch this match, but I certainly will next time. I, I do like watching it out at these. And I think Bellagrini is is doing good work, all things considered, so far. The move that kind of sent shockwaves through Spanish football uh, in recent days and happened fairly quickly from its inception to its execution to all of a sudden he's on the field. Uh, Luis Suarez joins Atleti um, and within a few days is able to get in on the action as Atletico Madrid smash Granada 6-1 and scores two goals himself at the end of the game. Uh, what did you make of this one for Atleti? And what do you make of Luis Suarez coming straight into the, into the, this Atleti side off the bench? Yeah, it's it's uh, some sight when you see Diego Costa coming off for Luis Suarez. <laughs> I mean, they've got the two biggest shithouse strikers in the world in that side now. And, you know, if I had no honor, I would revise my La Liga title prediction and choose Atleti because I, I genuinely think that this makes them a contender and probably the most open La Liga we've had in, in years. Um but I mean, yeah, this, the story goes that Ronald Koeman told Luis Suarez in like a one minute phone call that his services were no longer needed at Barcelona. Um, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid, if, if there's one thing they share in common, it's being completely disgraceful to their legends, especially <laughs> in how they leave. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, shades of Iker Castillas when he was kind of told to piss off <laughs> a couple years ago at the Bernabeu. Um, but, but Luis Suarez still has a lot to offer as we saw in this drubbing of Granada. Um, I think this is like the first time in, in years that Atleti have scored like more than two goals (laughs) to see them, to see them explode for six is amazing. And I think that's really the only thing that's missing between them and and another La Liga title, or at least a shot at one is more goals because they they're very organized. They can defend. They work their asses off. Cholo Simeone is, you know, a fantastic manager, the highest paid manager in Europe for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with this weapon in Luis Suarez, I, I, for real, I think this makes them a contender um, for, for La Liga's crown. Yeah, I think what, what struck me about this one was, you know, obviously – Luisito comes on and, and grabs the two at the end assists Marcus Llorente's, uh, yeah. you know, the, the fourth of the game. Um, but Costa Correa, Jao Felix and Marcus Llorente, like being the first four goal scorers and all scoring in, in a game, I think demonstrates the level of danger that this Atleti side per- like provides um, for uh, other La Liga sides this year. I think it's going to be like on its day, it can be obviously extremely potent um, and to have that many players involved uh, and especially players like Correa and Felix and Shao Felix who like have had kind of ups and downs uh, with their tenure. Um you know, Jao Felix obviously still extremely young, um, and the, but still the most expensive player like ever in Europe. So um, I think with that comes a lot of expectation. And now this this performance to me showed that they have 
the weapons and they're also willing to use them because so often I think like you said Simeone kind of has the shackles on um and and kind of forces players to play slightly more reserved than they would but um yeah no mercy in this performance uh and scoring six of their 10 shots on target but um but yeah I I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, how it applies over the course of the season, but they're certainly going to be a threat to anybody in Spain and, and, you know, as a pursuit pursue in Europe as well. Um, it adds a new dimension for a, a Simeone side, as he said. Absolutely. And I think that this can only be a good thing for Diego Costa too, who hasn't necessarily kicked on in his return to, to Atleti. Um, in terms of just goal scoring, uh, I think they expected a little bit more of him, but he gets off the mark in this one. And, you know, having Luis Suarez um, competing for that that spot can only be a good thing for, for both of them, really. So the favorites or uh, the the third favorites, however you want to stack and, and rack these top sides in La Liga, Barcelona. <laughs> Uh, made some headlines earlier this week with, uh, <laughs> as you said, Don Romano, but Fabrizio announcing <laughs> that, uh, that Serginho Dest, uh, the American right back, uh, well, Dutch American, I'll say <laughs> right back, uh, agreeing to join, um, the, uh, the Spanish giants. Um, but that wasn't the, uh, the headlines today as, as Barcelona just absolutely smashed Villarreal four nil, um, Unai Emery's Villarreal, uh, and Ansu Fadi taking the headlines with two goals as well. What did you make of Barca? Um, cause I think we've, we've both kind of talked about this transition period being potentially really bad for them. Um, but a good win today. Yeah, I think that, um, there certainly will be harder challenges. Um, Villarreal historically don't do well at Camp Nou and against Barcelona in general. Um, so I think it was a favorable matchup to open up um, the La Liga season for Barca. But to be fair to them, they they played very well. Um, Coutinho was kind of in that, that 10 spot that I think is where he will find most success going forward in his career. And he played very well. Um, Ansu Fati, of course, stole the show with two really, really good finishes. Um, maybe a bit harsh on Lionel Messi not to give him the penalty for the hat trick, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, I think at, at this point, people at Barca are doing everything to to make him happy, <laughs> um, given everything that's gone on this summer. So yeah, it was just a really complete performance by them. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was just really, really fun to watch. Ansu Fati's 17 years old and just doing it on the biggest stage. Um, it's it's crazy. I mean, how do you, how does Usman Dembele get into this side? You know, how does, <laughs> how does Trincao or, or, or Pedri get into this side? I mean, it's, I don't know, maybe cup games, I guess, or, or <laughs> some of the group stage ones. But I mean, Ansu Fati, it's, you have to manage the minutes still because he is young and we don't, you know, they don't want to burn out a player too soon. Right. Um, but it's hard. It's hard not to see his name as first on the team sheet given what he's been doing for Barcelona. It It's funny because with 
all that he's been doing. And, and between that scoring for Spain in the, in the nation's right. league as well, like not the under, not the under 19s, not the under 21s <laughs> scoring for the Spanish national team uh, at the nation's league. And the, uh, like, you almost feel like Griezmann is closer to falling out of the side than Ansu Fati. Like that's <laughs> like, <laughs> for sure. That's the level that this kid is operating at. Like, like if Dembele is getting in, it's probably at the expense of Griezmann before it's at the expense of Hatsu Fadi. It's crazy to even Absolutely. say that, but yeah, the, yeah. the kids, the kids insane. And I think, I think his first, well, real his first goal is impressive in that he generates like so much power, um, from a side foot. Like it came off as the, his instep, like he put his laces through it. And so you're like, wow, that's pretty crazy. But the second goal is the type that kind of makes you turn your head where he beats a couple of players, just like ridiculous touches in the box and then has the composure to still finish underneath the keeper with like the, the underneath kid, Sergio Asenjo, who is a very good keeper, who's just yeah. been very unlucky with injuries. So, yeah, I mean. Asenjo was the only bright spot for me and him and maybe a stupinian for Villarreal, but, <laughs> and, and you know, the thing to me that, that makes me think this is not just a purple patch and, and Ansu Fati's for real is that Lionel Messi trusts him. I mean, you see Messi look for him yeah. in transition. And I think that that says a lot. I think maybe Messi sees, yeah, this is, this is my, my heir here at Barca. It's, it's amazing to, see obviously like a club like Barca has the infrastructure um with La Masia like to do this sort of thing but in recent years like they've they've gotten so far away from it um in terms of promoting La Masia players um and I think that's pretty evident um you know throughout their starting lineup there's less and less you know of the Catalonian you know kind of vibe um, around the team, but they look to the Academy and Ansu Fadi is there the, you know, kind of ready made (laughs) heir to, to Messi's throne. So not to put too much pressure on the kid uh, too early, but um, we spoke about Coutinho and his, you know, potential for arriving like back at the club and all this stuff. Do you think, that him getting a nod in, in these like early games for Barca kind of solidifies the fact that he's in Kuman's plans and is part of kind of the accepted hierarchy there at, at Barca. It appears so. I just don't see anybody being able to shell out that kind of money for him on a permanent basis, at least. Um, Barcelona's always been Philippe Cucino's dream, so I think maybe he's determined more than ever to make it, or you know, make it work there. Um, again, I think a lot of it has to do with where he's being played. They did play, you know, a system that has an actual ten, um, so I think that helped him a lot. He picks Ansu Fati out really well for for one of the goals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, Philippe Coutinho is still a class player. I do want it to work out for him there. Um, but you know, we'll have to see It's hard for me to get a read on what exactly Kuman is, is, is wanting to do except for, you know, tell all the old players to leave, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see the, 
So La Liga up for grabs, um, seemingly this season, at least between the three, the three big boys. Um, and we'll see if anyone else gets in the mix as the season goes on. Um, but Serie A, uh, which we spoke about maybe being the more open title race in terms of, uh, teams trying to get involved, had a pretty wild weekend of results as well. Um, the, the biggest of which, and maybe the most prominent of those coming yesterday, Inter Milan four, Fiorentina three, um, in an absolutely crazy match that saw Inter have uh, need two goals in the last five minutes, uh, Lukaku 87 and D'Ambrosio um, 89 to actually grab that win. Um I made the joke on Twitter and it's feeling less and less like a joke, but I said, why has every, why has every football match since the restart ended four three? Because I have no idea who <laughs> to take seriously. And this inter side we've praised hugely. And we talked about their improvement under Antonio Conte. This result like had that feeling of like, Hmm, are they for real or are they just a very talented side? Like kind of that individual, you know, I think one of the th- underlying themes of this episode, <laughs> individual talent versus the collective and Fiorentina pushed this team to the absolute limit. Yeah. I, I, I was able to catch the highlights of this game. And I mean, seven goals between these two sides is insane. Um, <laughs> I, I'm kind of what I'm I'm not too sure what it is Conte's trying to do with the defense. Um, because he's got, you know, two two experienced players in Kolarov and D'Ambrosio in, but they, then he's got the young player and Alessandro Bastoni, mm-hmm. which you know, that's fine, but he, he's twenty one years old. Um I don't know that he should be anchoring this defense when you've got Milan Skriniar on the bench. Right. Um, so you know. As good as Samir Handanovic is, there was always going to be goals, I think, with that kind of lineup. Um, and I think De Vrij is either injured or suspended or something. So I don't know that this is necessarily the the best 11 that Inter could have put out. But at the end of the day, I think the quality tells. I think it was huge for them to keep Lautaro Martinez um, because there was so much talk about him joining Barcelona. But I think it's I think that's a, like a new signing, as Arsene Wenger used to say, <laughs> in that in that having Lautaro come back into form and focus on his football and, and not think about you know a move away is is crucial because he and Lukaku are a very potent partnership on their day, and they both get goals in this one. Um, shout out Frank Ribery though, yeah, because Mans still has it at you know the ripe age of thirty seven. That pass for Chiesa, for Chiesa, like uh, for the goal too, for it to end in a goal, like it's just probably the best piece of quality I saw this weekend. That I mean, if you haven't seen this pass, go look it up because it breaks like three lines and like kills the entire inter squad. Yeah, (laughs) it was fantastic. Chiesa finishes with a chip as well over over Handanovic, if I remember if I remember correctly. So yeah, I mean it's a beautiful goal and yeah, Ribery is in a he's an anomaly because I think at his age, you know you there's only a handful of attackers that you've seen remain even 
like passably useful beyond <laughs> like, and I don't mean that in like a harsh way. It's just athletically, like you become like, you know, you lose a step of pace and you're not able to like, um, get in behind as frequently or beat people on the dribble or, or anything like that. And so I guess maybe it's a Vardy, the Vardy effect, but Ribery is like the OG. <laughs> um, he just, he keeps finding ways to be effective. Um, even though maybe his like old bag of tricks of, of having bags of pace and having like a skill or two, maybe he can't use those quite like he used to. Um, so in this one, he receives it out wide and just his vision and his ability to spot that pass and then actually play it. Um, and it's just a, it's put on a plate for Chiesa to run onto. Um, and it just catches the entire inter team out. Uh, if there were such a thing as like a pass, that's good enough to like end a game. Like this should have been it. Like he should have been able to just say like, if this goes in, that's game like next <laughs> next goal wins because uh yeah he absolutely he absolutely just threaded that through in turn it was it was great to watch um and uh yeah i i think it's funny because obviously you know italian football so often known as this cagey tactical affair um maybe a thing in the past, the, the Calcio, uh, with the, with, <laughs> with four, three, the, that's not the type of scoreline you'd expect from, uh, from Serie A, but, um, certainly an entertaining one, uh, for the neutral. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, just the last thing on that amazing pass, it reminded me of Benjamin Pava's pass against Grotefuth. Do you remember that one? Yeah. That, that, those passes are just, they, they don't happen often, but when they do, they are just so, so satisfying. <laughs> um, I think it's, a, that's an underrated skill to be able to pass the ball that long and keep the ball on the ground. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a great bit of quality. Unfortunately, they don't get the, you know, they don't get anything out of this one, but um, maybe Fiorentina can maybe avoid the drop this season um, and put up a bit more of a fight than they did last year. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they're another, uh, you know, they're a team that is relying, I think, quite a bit on players who are maybe past it a little bit. Um, mm. Like Bonaventura, Amrabat, Chiesa, Milankovic. Like they've, they've, they're all proven. Martin Caceres, like they're all proven players in Serie A, but they're all like maybe five years like past uh their their sell-by date potentially um but they i mean i think they they operate okay as a team but you can tell obviously in this one they didn't have the wherewithal to to keep inter at bay um we'll see if many teams do uh because it'll certainly be a challenge with the the level um that inter are able to put on the field and especially with uh Serie A still allowing five uh substitutions like mm-hmm. in this one <laughs> inter bring on Ashraf Hakimi, Alexis Sanchez, uh Sensi, Arturo Vidal and Raja Nangolin. Um and Fiorentina are able to bring on Borja Valero, Dusan Vlahovic, Paul Larola, and Patrick Catroni, like 
There's yeah. levels to that. Levels, absolute <laughs> levels for sure. <laughs> so credit to Fiorentina for hanging in there. Um, but uh, Inter's Inter's target this season, obviously the Scudetto and the the Italian league league title. Um, Juve, the team that they must overcome uh, nine straight times. They've they've won and. Juventus looked on the ropes today against Roma, but able to salvage a point. Um, what did you make of uh, of Juve's journey to the capital? Yeah, like I said, I think it was a much different prospect from their, their first time out at Sampdoria. Um, it, seems like, it seems like Andrea Pirlo is giving chances to players that we thought might've been on the fringes of that, that Juve squad, namely Aaron Ramsey. Um, I think if, if, I think if you're a Roma supporter, you're kind of disappointed in this one, but um, you know, Ronaldo scores a penalty and then of course um, a header in the 70th minute. And so uh, again, you know, is this what Juve is going to do is rely on, on Ronaldo's quality because that's not necessarily gone to plan, at least in Europe. So um, and, and the title race gets more and more of a race um, as as the years go by. So, you know, they get they get a point here. Um, you know, I guess I guess you could say they they deserved it in some ways. They they outpossessed them. They outpossessed Roma. Although Roma had more chances, so um, yeah, it's it's a bit disappointing for Roma. I was hoping that they would be able to come out with something, but but it wasn't to be. Yeah. It- the crazy thing about this one is I think the, the, the way in which uh, this played out was very surprising in that Roma get the penalty for the handball as do Juve shortly after or whatever. So it's kind of back on level terms. And once it was, once it was level again, I was kind of thinking, okay, like Roma had their chance to, kind of take that unexpected lead and now build on it. Uh, now that that's gone, like they're back to level, then I, I'm assuming Juve are probably just going to kind of start to assert themselves um, and just not really let Roma back into it. But it's actually a set piece, like from a set piece, uh, Roma on a lightning counter uh, Mikatarian of all people running down the <laughs> running down the wing um, and playing the ball infield to Jordan Vertu, who had scored the penalty as well, um, and a good finish from the midfielder. So, at that point, if you're Roma, you score right before halftime. Obviously, the cliche, great time to score. But from there, two one, even at even strength, you've got to be thinking like, okay, how do we get the third? And it just never came. Yeah, I think, too, one thing that we have to discuss is that Ed and Jekyll looked a little bit off the pace today. Yeah. Um, there was heavy, heavy speculation that he was moving to Juventus. Um, but, you know, Juventus ended up going for Alvaro Morata for I don't know why. I mean, big clubs <laughs> keep spending big money on this player. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he was missing a lot of chances. Um I wonder if that was playing on his mind or if he's just not fit. Um, but I think if Ed and Dzeko was, was a bit more decisive, 
with his chance taking, it's a different result, especially as, as Juve go a man down um, with uh, Adrian Rabio getting that second yellow and he was putting in some shocking challenges all game long. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's a let off, I think for Juve to get something out of this one. Yeah. I think, I think my, uh, my text to you was, <laughs> was Rabio is trying to get sent off. <laughs> like, <laughs> he literally looked like he was like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to track back, whatever. I'm just going to start taking people. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't think anyone could have been shocked, uh, that he, that he did see red. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think we talked about it last week with Juve and there's a couple of players who I think obviously are, you know, they're in favor. We talked about Weston McKinney last week. He starts again in this one. Aaron, sure. Aaron Ramsey starts again under Pirlo, uh, as well. Uh, Kulisevsky, Start gets another start, although he was playing in a different position due to Murata being up top. Um, but Pirlo seems to be kind of getting an idea of who his who his guys are, I guess. Um, but the performance of the team, I don't know. I I'm just not. I'm still not convinced. Like I know a lot of people really liked the Sampdoria, like their performance in Sampdoria, and like they they did play some like good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this one, they they always seemed kind of vulnerable. Like well, they didn't. Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, they they have most of the possession, but I actually don't think they managed the ball that well. Like in midfield, right? It was a lot of giveaways, a lot of chances for Roma to break. I think a better team puts those chances away, or again, a, an informed than Jekyll. Um, but yeah, you you wonder how long it will take Pirlo to really figure it out and 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 put out a consistently dominant team because that's really what Juve should be and and another thing too is I, I don't understand why Paulo Dybala doesn't have a space in this lineup um that was an issue under Sari and it continues to be one apparently under Pirlo I mean it's still early so yeah. we'll see but I I personally love Paulo Dybala from his time at Palermo and um I just think he's a wonderful player and surely there's got to be space for him in this Juve side but it not not today um still on he still remains on the bench so um you know like you said maybe maybe Pirlo's just figuring it out but yeah you expect you to be a bit more dominant with the assets at their disposal so um yeah we'll we'll see they've got another test coming up in Napoli I believe who smashed Genoa today 6-0 yeah um so and played some really good stuff doing it too (laughs) for sure I watched the first half and it was pretty much all Napoli in that one. So yeah, they've, you know, it doesn't get any easier. So we'll see. I'm, I hope Napoli can do something. Cause I'm just, I'm personally just tired of Juve dominating Serie A. I want, <laughs> I would love if Serie A got back to what it was in the nineties, you know, and being that league that everyone wants to watch. But uh, at least as far as the United States is concerned, they definitely need to work on the production quality. Cause like I had to turn the Napoli game off because it was just like too quiet. Like there were no, yeah, there was no like on pitch noise. It was really just hard to watch. So anyway, that's, that's besides the point. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the Gennaro and we didn't even leave space in the lineup to talk about the fact that Gennaro Gattuso is the Napoli manager and has them playing crazy attacking football and winning six nil. Sure. So, um, 
and apparently getting a song out of out of Chucky Lozano, who had two goals today, um, which is would be a welcome change, uh, I think, for many Mexico fans, um, sure. but Napoli fans as well. Um, they're they're certainly an interesting prospect <laughs> off the back of that win, although. Genoa, you know, not the again, not the strongest opposition, but six no, that's that's a pretty hefty scoreline. Yeah, Genoa along with Sampdoria, I think they'll both be trying to survive yeah. this season. Yeah, Genoa in uh the city <laughs> struggle struggling in both <laughs> on both yes. counts. Um so heading up to France as we just close things out, um the there's a few storylines that have emerged obviously throughout this early opening of, of the, uh, Liga season, um, PSG get a win today against Reims. So the panic, the panic bells have, have subsided slightly for, uh, for, you know, the perennial champions. Um, but the story of the season so far, at least as far as I can see, um, as a fairly new, like in-depth obser- observer of the league is Stad Rene. Um, this team flying early on and they haven't played the toughest schedule, but it does include a win over Monaco and they're unbeaten in their first five. So what do you make of, of, uh, Stad Rene and this, uh, young side that is, that is finding joy early on in the Liga Un campaign? Yeah, they're they're fantastic. I watched the full ninety of the first game against Lille, which you know they got a draw thanks to a certain seventeen-year-old named Eduardo Camavinga. <laughs> he is you know in the same vein as as Ansu Fati in terms of on his way to superstardom in the game. I mean, he is incredible. Anyone listening to this, do yourself a favor and and you know put aside the Farmers League jokes and watch this player because he is special. I mean, he runs matches for this Renee, this Ren side. Um, So I'm not, I'm not really too surprised that, that they are, you've, they've come out the blocks um, playing this way because he's, he's just an incredible player. And, and I feel like he's very well advised too, because there have been, you know, the Real Madrid's of, of Europe sniffing around for him and he's made it pretty clear that he wants to stay put in France for now. And, and, uh, um, you know, get some get some experience and some first team football before moving on too early. Um, but yeah, this is very much a you know I, I single him out for praise, but I think it also is very much a team effort and a, and a team that is well coached under Julian Stefan. So because you know there's not really obvious um, star power in this side. I mean, they do have Rafinha, the the Brazilian winger, who's very good, but. Uh, I think I think they're just a good team, a well-coached team, and um, yeah, I'm delighted for them for for starting how they did. It's if if somebody can challenge PSG this season, that would be that would be great for the league. It it's kind of crazy because I think yeah, you know, we always think of the of the big French sides, uh, you know, of of recent history. So it's all PSG, Lyon, Marseille. Bordeaux, maybe to a, to an extent like back, you know, uh, at least in going to Europe, um, Mm -hmm. in recent years, uh, or, you know, maybe in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, 
but Ren not really like in the conversation in terms of, you know, even Nice and Lille uh, kind of upset the apple cart, if you will, uh, recently. Sure. But Ren not really in the conversation. And uh, now they just have, they, they seem to have built like along with Kamavinga, like they seem to have put these kind of assembled a little bit of a puzzle and it's starting to turn into a, into a cohesive picture. Um, and in this one, um, I mean, a scores their first goal, um, Moroccan, Moroccan center back. He's only 24. Um, Garassi, uh, also 24, I believe, or roundabout. Yeah. 24, uh, Serhu Garassi scores their second. Um, and then, uh, off the bench, they get a goal from Adrian Hunu, um, who has never really made any waves or whatever, but scores <laughs> a ridiculous goal, uh, in with an, another chip. Maybe that was, maybe that was another, another theme of this weekend. A <laughs> lot of, a uh, lot of chipped goals. Um, but it's a solid, solid win over, over San Etienne. Um, and I don't know. I, I think this is the type of consistency, I guess, that across five games, like you're not talking about a sample size that is, you know, worth like analyzing, I guess. This isn't, oh, Ren's top of the table after two early wins. You know, they've they've shown consistency um, and and, you know, they've scored just you know, the 12 goals across the five games, but they're, they've only allowed five goals. So, I mean, that's not too bad. If they can only, if they only allow 38 over the whole season, that's a pretty good return. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, I don't think we'll see that happen, but sure. <laughs> yeah. They score more of their goals on the road too, which, um, in this one, I think was in, in, uh, Santa Etienne. So, mm-hmm. you know, three nil on the road is, is fantastic. And poor Santa Etienne, cause they're getting pulled apart by some of the bigger sides in Europe in terms of <laughs> their personnel. True. Um, you know, obviously Saliba has gone to Arsenal and then, and Fofana is, pretty openly agitating for a move. So that defense is, is, is getting pulled apart, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it'll be interesting. I'm keeping tabs on Stadrone for sure. Obviously I Lille are in second place and hopefully going to give them some, uh, some trouble in the uh, table, but, but yeah, it's, it's great. And, and I think just to go along with your, your kind of commercial for Liga Un is like, I, have really, you know, I've, I've watched, I've dabbled in French football over the years, but I've never really watched like anyone, but the big boys. Mm. And so watching like last weekend, I watched Lille play. Um, was it Nice? Was it Nice? No, I don't think so. Uh, you were up. I know you were up stupid early for that. I was very proud. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, but the bottom line is that the quality on display is like very high. There is it. it they do joke about, you know, the farmer's league stuff, but, um, but no, it was like a very, it, I don't know. It, it's very fun to watch. Um, and, and it is very high quality. So, um, I'd recommend it as a, as a newcomer myself, like, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's certainly worth watching cause, uh, the, the play on offers very, very high quality. And I think 
one of the things I love about it is obviously there's, you know, a complicated history of France uh, and their colonization um, as with most of the European powers. But one of the, we'll say byproducts that is not the worst thing in the world is um, the multiculturalism of French football. And the fact that you have kind of this like crossroads of, North African and and like some sub-Saharan African and then you know like even uh in some cases like Dimitri Payet like uh you know from Réunion an Ray, island yeah. in the Indian Ocean yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> uh, so th- that is another cool aspect of the league that it produces this kind of uh like I don't know I don't want to be like overly flowery in the language or whatever, but like kind of this like carnival, I guess of like different styles and different, different, uh, different approaches. Um, so it's really cool and I'd highly recommend it. Absolutely. Um, so Mika, as we close things out, we've got, uh, songs to add to our sounds of the season podcast first or wow, not podcasts, uh, playlist, I should say, Sounds of the season playlist. Mika, you set it up. Um, so how can people find uh, this playlist? Yeah, so I've set this up on Spotify, and I will post the link on on our Twitter so that it's easy for you to just click through and it'll open on your app. But yeah, if you just search Sounds of the Season, season one, we should come up. It's under Hardcore Football. But yeah, no, I'll provide that link. And um, like, like Phil explained last time out, we're going to be adding two songs each every week so that by the end of the season, it's a behemoth of a playlist <laughs> um, of just everything, every genre that spans rock, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, just songs we like or songs that we think kind of encapsulate the state of play um, as it were. So, so yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's a, a fun little project. And I think uh, for anyone who's, into or interested in any sort of like rock music. Um, and, uh, some, there'll be some, uh, nostalgia, I guess, in some of these cases for for the mid two thousands scene. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll add, uh, we'll add songs as we go. So Mika, I mean, what have you got for us this week? Yeah, so I have gone with my first my first pick is Control by Alexis on Fire. Um I love Alexis on Fire, very good band. Uh Dallas Green is obviously a fantastic vocalist, one of the best in the genre, I would argue. Um and this song is about not being in control, which I think a lot of the big teams across Europe uh experience <laughs> this weekend. So I picked this one. Yeah. And plus it's just a good jam. Um, and then my, my second pick for this week is, uh, heroes get remembered legends never die by four years strong. Just a, just a shout out to Luis Suarez for, for showing the world that he still has it. Um, and that, um, Barcelona, I think Barcelona must've forgotten that Atletico Madrid are a league rival um, in letting him go there. So, so just putting some respect on, on Luisito's name with that one. I, I love that pick. And, uh, I also, it it spurs a memory because uh, I saw Four Years Strong at Warped uh, Warped Tour 2008, and nice. 
when when the end the ending of the song hit it just big old mosh pit but like a fun one <laughs> like a fun mosh pit you know um just just uh you know not a camera not a not a cell phone in sight just uh people living in the moment um so yeah it was Amazing. <laughs> it was it, yeah good times uh so my picks this week um the first is so i want to i want to like Similar to your Gorilla Biscuits pick, uh, I went with something that would, I think, resonate more with, like, maybe maybe not traditional hardcore, but, like, hardcore fans. And it's just, it's super heavy. So that's, mm. I'm, I'm starting to, I'm trying to earn some some street cred in that vein. Uh, but it's by, <laughs> it's a band called Dealer, um, and it's their song, Crooked. And... My <laughs> thought is there's a I won't spoil it because it's it's worth just hearing. Um, but it's a very short song. And over over the breakdown at the end of the song, uh, there's a call out um, as there often are in these hardcore songs before a big breakdown. Um, the the vocalist says something and it's my love letter to man city. Um, so that, that call out lyric, uh, is, is my shout for city getting beat by Lester, uh, today. And then, uh, second, I, I softened it up a little bit. Um, and I went with a song called waiting by picturesque, uh, a band called picturesque. And it's, um, it's a, it's a like the, the one line in the chorus is, uh, waiting for some clarity. And, that's how I feel right now because <laughs> I feel like I'm still waiting to see who the real deal, uh, throughout Europe, um, who the real deals are and who are still the, uh, the pretenders, um, like who's legit. So we'll, uh, so we'll see, um, if they can provide us some clarity recent or, you know, soon, but Mika, I mean, I appreciate you putting that together and we, uh, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy the playlist. It should be it should be fun to just see how it comes together and you know, one of these days later in the season we'll be able to just pop it on shuffle and hear just a, a random assortment of uh of jams. Absolutely. And I I listen to it um every time we've added stuff to it cuz you're introducing me to new music, so it's awesome. I like how we both like went heavy and then like a little bit soft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> just to balance it out, but exactly. yeah, no. I'll, I'll try to either post that tonight or, or send you the link, Phil, and we'll, we'll get that up for the, for the followers if they want a little taste of the kind of stuff we listen to. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm looking forward to that just growing and, uh, and being a, a nice little, nice little addendum to the podcast. So once you're done listening to us, you can flip your Spotify over to, over to the playlist and keep jamming. Um, so if you guys have enjoyed, you can find us on Spotify. Uh, that's one of the platforms. We're also on Apple Podcasts and, and Google Podcasts. So uh, make sure you subscribe. If you can leave a review on the, on the platform of your choice, please do. Um, otherwise, you can just follow us. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter at HXC Football. Um, and hopefully you guys continue to enjoy. We'll keep bringing you uh, all of the analysis and and banter about uh european football week in and week out we're having a, a lot of fun putting this together um 
and uh, it's still still growing. So I'm really excited about where we can uh, go and hopefully you guys enjoy the ride with us. So until next time.